How would you like to have real peace? How would you like to have the kind of peace that would give you calm and confidence no matter what circumstances were thrown at you? How would you like to have real wisdom and be able to make the best decisions and the wisest choices for all your life? How would you like to have real gladness in life? The kind of cheerfulness that comes from doing and being who you were created to be. Then after a lifetime filled with peace and wisdom and gladness, and you come to the end of your life, how would you like to face your final hours with confidence in your heart and a smile on your face? How would you like to be one of those few who can face death without fear? If you want a life of uh, peace and wisdom and gladness and confidence in this life and for the next life, then I have a book for you. The book is called The Bible, and it's the best book for living the best life God has for you. If you want to have this life, this best life and the best life for the next life, then the Bible is not just the good book. The Bible stands alone as the best book. The Bible is the best book. And today I want to remind you of the importance of meeting with God in the pages of Scripture. Uh, you may, as we enter into uh, summer, have some extra reading time. And so I encourage you to put the Bible on your summer reading list and then keep it there for every season of your life. Because the only way to live in God's peace, God's wisdom, God's gladness and confidence is to live on God's word in the Bible. Let me show you how uh, Jesus models this for us. Uh, please turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, uh, where we'll start with the first verse. Matthew, chapter 4, records this massive confrontation uh, between Jesus and Satan. Jesus hasn't eaten anything for a month and a half. And seeing Jesus in the wilderness, weak with hunger, the destroyer comes with three temptations. Uh, Matthew, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to stop there, and uh, this is the, the first of the three temptations Satan threw at Jesus. And in a moment, I'll refer to the other two temptations. But first, let's just reflect on this first temptation uh, and what Jesus said in response to this first temptation. Notice that when Satan tempted Jesus to make bread out of stones, uh, Jesus responded uh, by quoting from the Bible about the Bible. Uh, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, and says, Man does not live on bread alone, but he must also live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Jesus is saying, uh, although the human body needs food to survive, there is something human beings need even more to sustain true life. And that is the word of God. Jesus is saying, just like the visible part of a person is strengthened by food, the invisible part of a person is nourished by God's word. The human soul thrives on the word of God. This goes back to that peace and wisdom and gladness and confidence that constitutes life at its best. Jesus is saying that food does not bring about this kind of life. Jesus is saying that the best life comes from a different kind of nourishment. In order to live in God's peace, power, gladness, and wisdom, I must live on God's word. Jesus lived on God's word, and he models this for us in this encounter with the tempter here in Matthew chapter 4, where we learn four beliefs that Jesus has about Scripture. Uh, what, are, what are those four beliefs? What does Jesus believe about the Bible? Well, first, Jesus believes that the Bible is God's word. Uh, Jesus says, uh, as it is written, man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see how Jesus equates the written words in the Bible with words that come from the mouth of God. Jesus was very aware that Scripture was written by human authors. But Jesus says that what is written in the Bible is from the mouth of God. Notice that to Jesus, the Bible is not man-made word. It is God's word. Second belief. The second belief uh, Jesus has about the Bible, Jesus believes that the Bible is the final word. I mentioned earlier that the devil threw three temptations at Jesus. And if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 4, you can scan down. And you'll see that Jesus responded to the second and third temptations the same way that he handled the first. Each time, Jesus quotes from the Bible. Uh, to the second and third temptation, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 about not testing God and uh, always worshiping God alone. Jesus does not debate with Satan. Jesus responds with Scripture, which for him is the final word on every subject. To Jesus, the Bible is, just, is not just a word from God. It is the authoritative word of God. All right. Third, uh, what's another thing that Jesus believed about the Bible that we can see from here from Matthew chapter four? Three, Jesus believes that the Bible is absolute truth. It's interesting that in this encounter with Satan, Jesus only quotes the Bible. If you know the Gospels, you know that Jesus had uh, normal conversations with people and Jesus didn't just speak in a string of Bible quotes. Uh, but with Satan... Jesus only quotes Scripture because this is not a conversation. This is a confrontation. Jesus is confronting Satan's lies with the purest form of truth. 
By confronting the devil's lies with the Bible, Jesus is demonstrating his belief that the Bible is pure truth, that the Bible is absolutely true. Now, I want to pause here and uh, extend this point a little bit. Uh, I want to pause and talk more about this idea that the Bible is absolutely true, because most people don't believe this. Um, Maybe you don't. If you don't believe that the Bible is absolutely true, I'm glad you're here. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to explain why I believe the same thing that Jesus believes, that the Bible is absolutely true. On the other hand, if you have come here and you do believe that the Bible is absolutely true, would you just take note uh, so you can share some of these reasons that support what you believe about the Bible? So what are the truths uh, that claim uh, the behind the claim that the Bible is absolutely true? The first truth behind the claim that the Bible is true is that the Bible is textually reliable. I'm amazed at how many intelligent people uh, will say to me, I don't believe the Bible is absolutely true because it's filled with errors and contradictions. And I always respond the same way. I say, um, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? And usually the person admits that they've never read the Bible, uh, but they've heard that the Bible is full of textual inaccuracies and internal contradictions. The truth is the opposite. The truth is that the Old and New Testaments are the gold standard of textual reliability uh, among all ancient literature of all history. In fact, um, since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls 60 years ago, it's impossible to find a textual expert in ancient literature who doubts the textual reliability of the Bible. The truth is that there are no uh, unresolvable contradictions in the Bible. Now, it's true that Luke's gospel says that there were two angels at the Easter empty tomb and uh, Matthew in uh, Matthew's gospel records an angel who spoke to the Marys at the empty tomb. But this is not a contradiction. It's an example of the many choices that face writers like Matthew and Luke. Matthew does not contradict Luke. Matthew just chooses to focus on what an angel said to the Marys at the tomb. So just like these, uh, this angels at the tomb issue, there are a handful of other variations in the way the writers uh, order and record the events of Jesus' life that have no bearing on the message of the gospel and are not contradictions. The second truth behind the claim that the Bible is true is that the Bible is historically accurate. Now, there are no textual experts who can dispute the textual accuracy of the Bible. But some historical experts over the years have questioned the historical accuracy of the Bible. These historians would say um, the Bible mentions the Hittite Empire, uh, but there is no archaeological evidence for what the Bible describes as this vast civilization. Clearly, uh, the Bible writers concocted uh, this empire for dramatic effect. Uh, The hero of the Old Testament is King David. 
but there is no mention of him anywhere in history outside the Bible. Uh, the New Testament says that uh, after being crucified, Jesus was laid in a tomb. But this must be, you know, fiction because Roman history indicates that all crucified bodies were dumped in mass graves. And what about the characters who supposedly put Jesus to death? Why is there no historical record of Pontius Pilate or a high priest named Caiaphas? Surely these people were fictionalized uh, to add color to the story. For years, and in some cases centuries, uh, these Questions and challenges were used to confront people who believed that there was historical accuracy and truth behind the words of the Bible. And then in 1906, archaeologists unearthed the sprawling remains of the Hittite Empire, just as described in the Bible. On July 21st, 1993, uh, in ancient, uh, the ancient ruins of the city of Dan, archaeologists uh, discovered a monument clearly referring to the house or uh, lineage of King David, forever putting to rest the idea that King David was a myth. In 1968, uh, researchers discovered the skeletal remains of a crucified man in a burial cave outside Jerusalem. The name etched on the burial box was uh, Yehoanan, a find that demolished the argument that the Romans would not have allowed a criminal like Jesus to be buried in a tomb. And then in 1961, a helicopter gunship noticed a large circle in the sand on the coast of Israel. A large amphitheater was discovered among uh, the ruins. They discovered a stone slab inscribed with the name of its builder, Pontius Pilate. And better than a stone slab, in 1990, archaeologists discovered Caiaphas himself in the form of his burial box which is now on display in the Israel Museum. Today, there are over 25,000 archaeological sites that have been discovered with historical re relevance to the Old and New Testaments. And not one of these 25,000 sites contradicts a single historical statement in Scripture. The Bible's historical accuracy and its textual reliability do not in themselves uh, demonstrate the divine nature of the Bible. But these two elements do combine uh, to prove the Bible's uh, supernatural origin when it comes to fulfilled prophecy. The life of Jesus alone fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies that were made over 500 years before Jesus was born. This includes the Old Testament prophecy that appears in Psalm 22, which describes how the Savior would be pierced in hands and feet, uh, which is universally understood as a description of crucifixion. 800 years before crucifixion was invented. The Bible is historically accurate, even when it's predicting history. The third truth uh, behind the claim that the Bible is true is that the Bible is timelessly relevant. 
this is a statement that sometimes is met with sarcastic disbelief. Uh, many of you know uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, uh, an author and uh, former radio personality who offers practical advice based on the, uh, on the Old Testament. Uh, here's a part of a letter that she received uh, that's full of sarcasm. Uh, Dear Dr. Laura, thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some laws and how to follow them. I have a neighbor who persists in working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35 clearly states that he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? Leviticus 21 states that I may not approach the altar of God if I have a defect in my eyesight. To my shame, I admit that I do wear reading glasses. Uh, must my vision be 2020 to have a relationship with God, or is there some wiggle room here? I know from Leviticus 11 that touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But may I still play football if I wear gloves? Thank you again for reminding us that God's word is eternal and unchanging. Signed, your devoted disciple and adoring fan. With similar sarcasm, people say, you know, the Bible says you can't eat pork or shellfish, but Christians do. The Bible says that you should execute those who are caught in adultery, and no one does that. See, even you Christians don't believe that the Bible is absolutely true. Well, this is an argument based on a huge misreading of Scripture. The argument is that Christians choose to ignore certain Old Testament laws because they simply are inconvenient or outdated. And those who make this false argument either don't know or ignore the fact that in the Bible, God himself explains that many aspects of Old Testament law were designed to be temporary. Temporary doesn't mean that those laws are insignificant. It means that they were time limited in their specific purpose in God's story. Those who know the Bible know that the Bible is not a rule book, not a list of rules. It is a story. The Bible is a story, God's story, that teaches timeless truths about who God is, who we are, what sin is, and where salvation is found. God's story begins with God choosing one man so that through this one man and his extended family, God could rise up a nation. A nation that would give birth to a Savior who would bless people of every generation on earth. But the tricky part uh, was God's uh, task of keeping a chosen nation together when they were nomads and they didn't have any land. Since they didn't have any physical borders to define them, God created a nation whose boundary markers were written social laws and written ceremonial laws uh, that were designed to be temporary. Of course, God also gave them uh, laws that were not temporary because they're theological teachings about who God is and who we are, what sin is and what salvation, where salvation is found, that reflect timeless truth. 
But the social laws, like what to do with people caught in adultery, and the ceremonial laws, like rules about food and Sabbath keeping, were temporary laws designed to define a nation and keep it together until it served its purpose in God's story, which was the birth of the Savior. This is why in the Old Testament, God over and over refers to these temporary laws as an old covenant, because God had a bigger and better goal in mind, which was a new covenant through Jesus, as God says in Jeremiah chapter 31 in the Old Testament. This is the new covenant I will make with my people after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God's story is about replacing external laws that were temporary with internal truths of a timeless nature. The fact that God's story includes both temporary laws and timeless laws should not surprise anyone because all good fathers do this. Uh, My kids are 13 years old and they have temporary laws and they have timeless laws. They have temporary laws like they cannot drive dad's car because they're 13 years old. But they also have timeless laws like they will never drive dad's car because it's dad's car. Uh, You know what I mean. Fathers have temporary laws for toddlers, then different laws for preteens. But fathers also hold timeless truths that they try to communicate to their kids. The Bible is timeless truth. And, you know, uh, many people that the, think that the Bible is this archaic text full of flat earth thinking and scientific errors. And this just isn't the case. The Bible shows its divine nature in so many ways, including the way it is consistent with scientific truth. Uh, in fact, uh, if I had time, I could show you how uh, far from Contrary to science, the Bible anticipates scientific truths before they were scientifically discovered. How 4,000 years before science, the Bible affirmed the roundness of the earth, uh, the, uh, uh, the scientific laws of entropy, uh, germ theory, and the mathematical formula that is still used for large ship construction, a gift that God gave to Noah thousands of years in advance. The Bible is a divine book that contains timeless truth that is essential for anyone who wants to live life, the best life, as God designed it. Which now leads us back to Matthew chapter 4, and one more thing that Jesus believes about Scripture. Jesus believes that the Bible must be studied and applied. Uh, Three temptations were thrown at Jesus, and Jesus had the perfect biblical answer, the perfect biblical application to each temptation. Now, the reason Jesus knew what to say is because Jesus knew the Bible. It was not like Jesus said, uh, well, Satan, uh, somewhere in Scripture, it says something like, I don't remember exactly where it is, but it goes something like, uh, no. 
Jesus models for me the importance of knowing God's word through regular reading of scripture so that I can faithfully apply the Bible to my daily life. This is what Jesus believes about the Bible. The Bible is God's word, the final word, an absolute truth that demands to be studied and applied. Okay. For those of you who are skeptical about the Bible, I hope I've said something that will at least convince you that the Bible demands a fair hearing such that you will at least read it for yourself. And if you do, I suggest you start in the New Testament with the book of Matthew. But if you've come here and you've already said, I believe what Jesus believes about the Bible, well, that's easy to say. That's easy to say with your words. But do you prove it with your life? I mean, if you really believe that the Bible is God's word, the final word, the absolute truth in your life, then you will prove it by the way you make regular Bible reading and application a priority in your life. Really, what does it say about you if you say that you believe that the Bible is God's word, the final word, and absolute truth, but you don't find time to consistently read it? If you don't find time to hear God's voice and apply it to your life, you're missing the core of a relationship with God. I remember being... uh, uh, being 15 years old and uh, feeling really insecure, probably like all high schoolers, uh, and I felt insecure about my friendships. I wondered if uh, I was lovable or even likable. I, I felt insecure about my self-worth, and I was asking, am I good at anything? Is there a purpose to my life? And I remember these feelings very clearly because I remembered I remember what happened next. I read A few words from the Bible. I read some 2,000-year-old words that became like a, a truth explosion in my brain. I read these words from Ephesians uh, chapter 2. But because of His great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive in Jesus. For it is by God's grace you are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And in these words, the God of the universe told me that he loved me so much that he came personally to die for me on the cross so that I could receive the gift of his forgiveness and have a relationship with him. And so I did receive his forgiveness and God flooded my life with an overwhelming sense of his love and gave me a supernatural security inside. And I've never been the same since. I remember when I was 24 years old and I was in seminary training to be a pastor And some elders of a church called me and said, uh, uh, if I would consent to let this church vote on me to join their church staff to replace a pastor who was retiring. And I said, "Okay." Uh, And the church voted to hire me, but it was not a unanimous vote. Uh, Some people voted against me because I was too young and I would have voted against me, too. 
uh, because uh, I felt too young and I felt totally insecure about taking that job. So I didn't know what to do. But then I read the Bible and God spoke to me through an Old Testament character named Jacob and how God chose to use Jacob, even though everyone considered him too young as the second born son. Well, God chose Jacob because of his desire to please God. And God used his word to speak to me in a, in a, in a silent way. God spoke to me that, that I was not too young in his eyes and that I should accept this church position out of my desire to please him. And so I did. And the church was Black Rock and I accepted the pastoral position 26 years ago this month. And now... Uh, those people who voted against me, they think I'm too old for the job. And uh, actually, I'm kidding. Uh, those people all died mysterious deaths long ago. And listen, if you walk with Jesus, you know what I mean when I say every day God uses the Bible to guide me in my decisions encourage me when I'm insecure, strengthen me in the face of temptation, and redirect me whenever I wander from the best that God wants for my life. And this week, when I was deciding uh, what I wanted to say to you, Jesus spoke to me through the Bible. And he led me to Matthew chapter 4. And he told me to remind you of how he taught And modeled the truth that in order to live in the peace and power and gladness and wisdom of God, you must live on the word of God. He told you, he told me to remind you to make time for the Bible because he'd like to meet you in the good book, which is the best book for the best life that God has for you. Would you please stand now as we close? I'd like to just give you a a quiet moment just to respond to God. Uh, You've heard something about uh, this book that I bet you have at least one copy of. And what it will take for you to... Live the best life is for you to spend time with God in this best book. Would you just maybe listen to God? He might want you even right now to make a plan. Because so often this Bible reading doesn't work, doesn't happen unless you have a plan. A plan of, of where to meet with God in a specific place, a specific routine, a specific time. Would you just maybe listen to God about what that will mean for you, where God wants to meet you, and when. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for being alive and speaking to us, those who follow you. And we know 
from you, Jesus, yourself, and, and you modeled it for us, that the way we live in that peace and power and gladness is to live on this word. Would you help us to, to really live this best life as we spend time in the best book? Amen. See you next time.